0: Yeah. We, we are the epitome of black female love. It's
1: easy yeah. for us as black women to, to hold up the banner and the calls for everyone else. But again, who's who holds up the banner and the calls
0: for That us? we as a black church are perpetuating the same
2: behavior as a patriarchal evangelicals have. That's been right.
1: Hello, 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 my sister. How you be on today? I be good.
0: I be good. <laughs> I'm trying to hang in here uh, with a with a little bit of a sore throat and my blood. I'm watching my blood sugar because it keeps dropping because
1: I'm not eating because
0: my float is so I don't want to. I don't want to aggravate it.
1: But I gotta oh, eat. Yeah, you oh, you have you have to eat oh oh my goodness i good. what is that a I'll boost
0: to see it uh it looks boy. like a premiere okay, a a premier premiere. Plot, okay. Drinks and, you know okay.
1: All right, Um, viewing audience, come on, like, tag, and share. Um, Get the audience, get your friends in here today. You do not want to miss this conversation on today. Sharon uh, Mitchell from Michigan, it is uh, great to to have you with us on today. Come on in. Let us know that you are here. Let us know where you are listening to us from. We do want to let you know, one of our co-hosts, Dr. Chalice Bradford, Um, is not um, with us on today. Her brother um, had emergency surgery on today, and uh, we just want to pause now. Dr. Wallace, if you would, just lift up a quick prayer um, for our sister and her her brother um, who is in surgery right now.
0: Gracious and loving God, we come before you first to say thank you. Thank you that your grace and your mercy still covers us. I pray now, loving God, that your healing hand and your Holy Spirit will touch now the Bradford family, touch her brother, touch all of those family members that find themselves in the emergency room or waiting in the conference room for the surgery to be completed. But Lord, bring him out in full health and bring him to all of us so that his work in ministry can continue in jesus name we pray amen
1: amen 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 thank you um for that and so hello hello yvonne williams all the way from grand prairie thank you for joining us come on in come on in get the folk in here on today i'm telling you all you do not want to miss this conversation on today so um our little hot topic while we're waiting on dr wright to, to shoot in and join with us on today the um I see that the House of Representatives nominated someone else to be their speaker. And before the day was over, he has withdrawn his name. Really? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> and so not it not. seems, <laughs> so it said that- I um, still in the don't part- have a speaker. You still don't have a speaker, and in the caucus that they, i um, said what I heard on the news, which was about four o'clock um today, um that they said that they did an in-house kind of tally vote and um, found out that I think he only got a hundred and seventeen or hundred and seventy votes. I think it was something, um, of the sort. But uh, but yeah, unable to um to secure. So where where do is this intentional? Um, yeah, because, eight people um, can, um,
0: can hijack the
1: whole United States
0: um, Congress. Eight people. That's ri- ridiculous.
1: And and it seems as though, you know, at this point, because, you know, when we looked at the elections that happened, if Jim Jordan had gotten that, I, I, I you know, I don't think I've sat and prayed. I, I watched McCarthy. Um, with popcorn, right? I, you know, I, I watched every ballot, and I, there was a day I almost missed it. Right? I was like, I looked at my watch. Oh my goodness! I got to, I got to get there and watch him lose another ballot, right? And, um, and so that was that was enjoyable uh, to my soul because of the dysfunction. But one of the things that I found was so interesting today in listening to the news sources is that um, every, but all of these Republicans that are seeking uh, the speakership are still calling Donald Trump. I cannot believe I said his name, forgive me, Lord. It's still calling 45, trying to get his endorsement. And my prayer is
0: 45 will be in jail in a few months. So it won't be, it won't even matter.
1: Well, it seems as though that he can still be in jail and and win the election and be president. From jail. Yes, because apparently there's no law in our Constitution that, that um, keeps a, <laughs> a felon um, from serving as president, even though that issues with a birth certificate with Barack Obama. But that's a whole nother kind of conversation. I think we see the true colors of American um, mm-hmm. racism just just coming and so you know putting the country in in sheer sheer dysfunction now i do have this question viewing audience viewing audience come on come on um get to get 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 the folk in here i do have this question about this because i also set my recorder so i would not miss it your thoughts on jada pinkett smith mm. I, you're not you don't you aren't familiar with
0: this I have had my head my my had, well, I have had my head in some uh, research on black women and mental health and I would love to share some of that today. <laughs> That's where my <laughs> head is. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get ready okay. for November 4th. So I I have not um, I have not seen uh, much social media in, in fact any at all so are you
1: familiar with with any of it just just prior to you burying your head in the sand okay so you know do you know jada pinkett Smith? yeah i
0: know smith Mm -hmm. okay
1: all right and so um she's released a book now and um i think the title of her book is called worthy it's worthy i believe and um and in it she shares you know a whole lot about her past and some other things and um, her relationship with Will Smith, because I know you're familiar by now that mm-hmm. she and Will Smith have been divorced since 20. What's well, sep- They haven- They didn't say divorce Have been separated since 2016. So mm-hmm. they've not been a couple. Not lived in the same residence. So, but you're not familiar with any of this. Okay, I, this is when I need to write. You know, they are. That's another generation.
0: <laughs> just one generation from me.
1: Okay, so you didn't see what
0: is it? Beverly Hills? uh, What
1: was what was Will Smith on? Okay. Okay, he was he know. was on, he was on a whole lot of stuff, but he's been in a whole lot of movies. Um, oh yeah, movies, well, I love it. Right, his movies. Pursuit, I do love right? His movies. pursuit of happiness. Right, all of these things. You know, they both been in in front, but they were considered to be a premier couple. But you're not being familiar with what's going on with Jada Pinkett Smith. Really well, what's going um, The audience no, probably is. Oh, it, it it just really makes this conversation very awkward, um, right now. So,
0: um, <laughs> okay, School with the.
1: Uh no. Um this has just Mm-mm. been the media for the so, last
0: I apologize for that. I mean I got a short time frame and I got a whole book to read, you know, that someone asked me about questions.
1: We ain't gonna okay. quit, you know. Okay, yeah, I, I it's just it's one it's of just them. There, one yeah. of these yeah. Okay, no, I'm not talking about something from a week. I'm talking about something that's taking place over the last three weeks in this regard. Yes, and so, yeah. All right, so let me me introduce our guest that is backstage. We are so blessed on today to have with us uh, Dr. Rosetta E. Ross, who's a professor of religious studies at Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia. She pioneered scholarship on religion and U.S. Black women's activism, and was an early proponent of womanist theology. At Spelman, Ross has transformed the study of religion from exclusive focus on Christian theology to a diverse religious studies curriculum. Her research explores religious consciousness in Black women's social action and Africana women and religion. Author of Witnessing and Testifying, Black Women, Religion and Civil Rights, co-author The Status of Racial and Ethnic Clergy Women in the United Methodist Church, co editor of Unraveling and Reweaving Sacred Canon in Africana Womanhood. Ross is um, co PI with Monique Moultrie on the Henry Luce Foundation funded Garden Initiative for Black Women's Religious Activism, which mm-hmm. is where I've had the pleasure of meeting her. Her current research project is Black Religious Consciousness and Women in the NAACP, 1927 to 1979. Ross is the founding editor of the peer-reviewed e-journal, Black Women and Religious Cultures. An ordained elder in the South Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church, Ross has pastored churches in South Carolina and Georgia. She resides in Atlanta, Georgia with her partner, Lutheran pastor, Ronald S. Bonner. And so if you will, um, our audience, if you will welcome our guest on today, Dr. Rosetta Ross.
0: Hi, Dr. Ross.
2: Hello, it is a pleasure to be here.
0: <laughs> yeah, she she missed a whole big old piece of your um, bio when you were at the ITC. I
2: was. That is where I began my career as a professor in the study of religion at the Mm -hmm. ITC, and that is where
0: I met Dr. Brenda Wallace. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So good to have you, Dr. Ross. We are really pleased that you're here with us today to talk about witnessing and testifying (laughs) <laughs> you don't see see how how these black women um have been witnessing and testifying with their work uh, on the ground um, mm-hmm. Some people call activists um uh forerunner activists uh sojourner Truth and Harriet Tugman, but you call you've got some uh folk that are out of our our time zone out of the 1960s. That you talk about, so I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing more about them. It is um, my joy,
2: and you you note that I'm staying right there with the current work on women in the NAACP. They're in the same time period, but um, their context is a bit different from the women who I discuss in witnessing and testifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is um, there has long been uh, lament of about the absence of women as executive uh, leaders of any of the civil rights organizations. Dorothy Height, of course, was the president of the National Council of Negro like Women. women. Mm-hmm. And for a short time, Ruby Doris Smith Robinson was the executive secretary of of SNCC, but her she became executive secretary and she died very young. So mm. she was not executive secretary for very long, but all of the others, um, the NAACP, the National Urban League Corps, um, uh, uh, four, um, you name them, they were uh, headed by men and women. Um, did play significant roles in those organizations as middle managers, but they had um, a lot to contend with and and they made great contributions that's that's the other text. Um, I could say a lot more about it and perhaps I will.
0: Thank you, thank you for sharing that intro into into your work. Our first question, is that for me, Dr. Doctor Burns It is. Mm-hmm. So how has racial uplifting by middle-class Black Americans, moreover the talented 10th, impacted the lives of all Black people without replicating white supremacist oppression? And how has womanist thought um, abated it? Okay.
2: uh, Well, I um, want to begin with the concept of the talented 10th and the um, idea of the middle class and racial uplift um, because, um, and I explored this in witnessing and testifying, there were actually two uh, categories or two ways of looking at racial uplift. One was the idea, and by the way, there is a wonderful book called Uplifting the Race that explores this more fully. And I do draw on that book in, in, uh, in my text, Mm -hmm. but, um, there was one way of looking at racial uplift as the work of persons who were in an advantaged position because of education and, and, uh, uh, perhaps Mm -hmm. also their, um, their um, socioeconomic class to the extent that there were um, significant, there was a significant Black middle class. um, And those two things would have gone together. That that was one perspective about how racial uplift occurred. Um, Another perspective though, and this is the one that I um, uh, think is more realistic, is that Persons from all levels were leaders and participated in uplifting the race. Um, And in fact, uh, in witnessing and testifying, I uh, explore the lives of uh, Victoria Wade DeLee from the Low Country in South Carolina and Fannie Lou Hamer from Mississippi, both of whom were women who um, did not have the opportunity to finish high school. Um, they came from um, sharecropping families. They were women who did not have a lot of resources uh, for most of their lives. Um, things got better, actually, for, for both of them at some level. Um, and they were kind of the opposite of what Du Bois' Talented Tenth was. Mm-hmm. But, but they made out, I mean, enormous contributions. Uh, Fannie Lou Hamer became nationally known and recognized. Victoria DeLee was certainly known across the state and even in parts of the region. Um, But what they did to kind of get to your question is to attend to the realities that Black people were experiencing. And that's what people who do racial uplift work or did. I think it's called right now uh, work for the culture. Uh, if I am in tune with what younger people are saying. Um, They do that work because they see what needs to be done and they do it from the places where they are. So it is not restricted to any uh, particular group or class. It is people who um, are working against the realities of white supremacy and the difficulties of uh, African-Americans and then broader than that for justice. I would say that one of the things that um, is a difference for me um, has to do, uh, and and in witnessing and testifying, I I look specifically or primarily at Christian women. I do include Clara Muhammad there, so women of faith, Clara Muhammad is also included. But um, the point in terms of the difference, um, I would say one of the things that Uh, is very different, which I did not discuss in that book, but it is the interpretation of Christianity. Mm. Um, So there is, we all know, a very white supremacist interpretation of Christianity and and of the Bible. And of of course, people can interpret texts to mean and say and to be construed in whatever ways they like. Um, I would say that the activism of uh Hamer and DeLee and the other women discussed in the book was activism that related to the um the very um awful circumstance of of uh, of African Americans but beyond that to the idea of justice and equality and transforming society generally um so uh, transforming society For persons. Um, I think sometimes, um, or or maybe if we think of right now, some of the the, uh, focus of white supremacist work, there is a desire to transform the society um, into something other than what it has evolved into. um, But that would be a kind of backward looking and also a narrowing of the benefits uh, of what the society offers to a selected few Uh, and in in fact, I would say um, many of the leading white supremacists would even exclude some poor white persons because there is a a class element uh, even in uh, um, racism and white supremacy.
1: Um, This question here, um, I'm here. Just um I know that 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 you, you just talked about it in a way, but um very clearly explain what does talented temp mean? That means uh,
2: Yes, that's a great question. Uh, so <sighs> the idea of the talented temp was um conceived and um promulgated by W.E.B. Du Bois. Um uh, Du Bois argued that the leaders of black persons, remember he was born in the uh, 19th century. He lived well into the 20th century. He lived a long time. Um, So he was active in the 19th century and in the 20th century. But um, he believed that the leaders of black persons should be those who um, were educated, had uh some social um access and status, I would say. Um, and uh it's interesting that he labels them as talented because um the ways that he talks about those persons is not to identify or that group is not to identify talents because Hamer and and DeLee had talents, but it is um, really a kind of uh, uh, narrow way of construing who Black leaders should be. So um, I don't know what um, Du DuBois's uh, motives might have been for making this argument at, at, at one level I think that there are assertions that would be made now about who should speak, um, and those assertions would be contested. But I, I, I would further say that um, to limit leadership in that way, um, even in that time, because um, uh, Harriet Tubman and uh, uh, who preceded Du Bois. And Sojourner Truth, who also preceded Du Bois, would not have fit, but look mm-hmm. at what they did and how important mm-hmm. they were in our history. And so um, did many, many other persons. Those are two women whose names come to my mind. But mm-hmm. the Talented Tenth was a group that Du Bois um, identified as persons who should be leaders. And in some ways, uh, my, my reading, this is, uh, let me uh, underscore, this is my reading of Du Bois. Um, my reading of Du Bois is that um, there was some sense of, um, as people do today, of, of being being the group in charge um, or wanting to be the group in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 that's my reading. Um, there might be persons who would object severely to what I've just said.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I hope that um, responds, though, to the question of the talented Tim.
0: hmm
1: um, this bureau uh, here has, <clears throat> this question says, by today's standard, wouldn't boy con- concept of the talented tent be considered elitist? That's one. Okay. Um, I, I think
2: so. And I, I actually think it would have been even in his time. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that um, is um, a part of the discussion, It's a, it's a minor discussion in the work that I'm doing now, on women in the NAACP is that very thing. Uh, So um, Mm -hmm. Du Bois is to be credited for many and great contributions. So I am not by any means um, uh, suggesting that he he was not a a great African-American leader because he was. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the NAACP, emerged from Du Bois, in many ways emerged from Du Bois's efforts and um, the efforts of his colleague uh, Trotter, Monroe Trotter. They began a group called um, the Niagara, they began an effort called the Niagara Movement that lasted about three years. And it was an effort of uh, Black persons to attend to the racial violence that was coming in the early 20th century. Um, Because after uh, the the end of Reconstruction uh, and there were were no, well, Reconstruction ended in the late 19th century, there were no longer troops and then there were no longer laws that protected African-Americans. It was just uh, pure havoc in terms of the violence and challenges that African Americans were facing. And uh, Du Bois was very keen, among others, was very keen on trying to, to attend to the reality that African Americans were in a desperate situation because with the withdrawal of troops from the, the South, the federal government really um, abandoned African Americans. It was it, um, who had been emancipated, but were, were, for many persons, were still getting their feet under themselves. Mm-hmm. African-Americans um, moved quickly in doing so, um, but it that what had happened over centuries would not go away in a short period of time by the early 20th century. And in fact, there are legacies of that right now. The point though is that Du Bois was very keen on... Calling attention to this and trying to develop solutions, mm-hmm. so the uh, Niagara Movement was started for that purpose. However, the the resources and influence of African Americans were very limited, and so um, the Niagara Movement kind of folded as, and the NAACP emerged with the collaboration of white persons uh, who were legacies of. Uh, Abolitionist who helped start the NAACP. I'm going all around in a circle. Mm-hmm. But here's the point. Uh, as the uh, Niagara movement began, it was all men and women were put in supportive and ancillary roles. Uh, moreover, there were debates about who uh would be uh, well, there were there were some people were included and some people were
1: not. Um, so let me let me let me ask you this then, <clears throat> as you're transitioning right there, because um, it says Gil's argued that Black women have more power in community organizations than in the Black religious institutions, and that's the same today, even with the um, National Council of Negro Women and Black sororities. So, what strategies did the Black women you research have that might help Black women uh, today make greater gains in Black? religious institutions.
2: Okay, thank you for pulling me back from going over the cliff. <laughs> so uh yeah I I'm I'm going to say that um and as as I segue into that in the NAACP women were limited and persons who were not in the in crowd were limited. And um just as Cheryl Townsend jokes points out what women did was determine ways to make the contributions that they could make and that uh included uh really at the in the early 20th century founding women's organizations so the black club women's movement mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. is
2: very much in part um um um, in, um a, a result of the restrictions that were happening in black women's lives and churches in order to be autonomous in terms of what they wanted to do with the many resources that they were um, were uh, gathering, uh, Betty Collier Thomas, in a book entitled *Jesus, Jobs, and Justice*, does a great job of pointing to that very thing. And uh, that book is uh, a kind of heavy read because time after time after time again, she points to. What black women tried to do was to organize within um, the the denominations. And of course there are women's groups within the denominations, but there were all of these strictures that that kept being put onto women. And so they Mm -hmm. began to develop parachurch organizations in order to do uh, the work that they were doing. And um, with their development of those organizations, they were in charge. And of course that is where Mm -hmm. they had authority. Um but that's not a good thing that they have to leave the institution where more black women populate. I mean, we know that that the the pews are filled more with with women than they are with men. and um, that women chose to had to leave in order to, Exercise agency and authority is
0: uh sad.
2: Yes, to say the least, and, and it continues even to today. Um, I you may be aware of the um conflict or issue that's going on with uh identifying a, a new pastor of Abyssinia Baptist Church and um the but the you know, a parent ruling out of women as fast possible um who can hold that role. um that's um that's of the same kind of of what was happening in the uh, early twentieth century, mid twentieth century, um and now the twenty first century
0: mm-hmm. yeah, uh, black women in uh, we hold all most of the pews filled with black women. And oftentimes it's those same black women that go against other black women uh, clergy. Um, We've we've had uh, lots of discussions uh, about that, but um, you you highlight some virtues that um, black women had, um, especially in the Christian church. Until the 20th century, with um, and those virtues, I'm gonna see if I can remember them correctly Um, invisible dignity, uh, quiet grace, and courage. So, how is it that the three virtues did not translate into the church, even though they were they they seemed to come from scripture? Um, that I, I other than invisible identity, but that grace and courage are all um, virtues in of the of the Christian Church, but it didn't translate over um, for Black women. That that's sad. Uh, well, well,
2: first let me say that those three virtues are taken from my mentor and one of the founders of womanist. Theology, Dr. Cannon. Katie Cannon. I'm sorry, I
0: should have I should have made
2: note of that. I apologize. Um, not 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 at all. Dr. Um Dr. Cannon identified invisible dignity, quiet grace, and unshouted courage as of yes, virtues of black women. Uh I think that those and other virtues have translated. Hmm. Um, however, they may not be recognized because, or, or, or not, um, yes, may not be recognized because they are not discussed. And um, one of the things about the three virtues is that she is naming virtues that are Hidden kind of if you think of the adjective before each one, invisible dignity, quiet grace, and unshouted courage. Um, so women are practicing those things all the time: grace, dignity, and courage. Um, and because of the context in which they find themselves, it is often overlooked or made or made um, concealed or made invisible. Um, So I do think that they translate. Uh, I think it is um, the case that there is a level of intensification of the ways that people become
1: um, (laughs) well-oppressed. So, that, Dr. Ross, as, as you're looking for your word there, you know, um, invisible, yes. quiet, right? And but yet, courage, courage. And I, there was someone that I saw um, who posted who who essentially said, "You know what? I'm tired of being uh, the you know strong, being the definition of me." Right, that whenever you talk about me, it's a strong black woman, strong black woman, strong black woman. Because whenever you use that word, strong black woman, woman, which is accepted by both black men and and main society, then what it does is give it gives others permission to continue to put weight on us without us quote saying that it is too much. And and so is this not buying into that when we talk about invisible dignity? and quiet grace is that not you know are we are we not when when we accept this which we have um are are we not continuing the perpetuation of um of our voices are being silent but yet our pocketbooks still being wanted in these spaces um i
2: I would not necessarily say so, but that may be because I'm old school. Um, I was at a session once when uh, a woman who identifies herself as a millennial womanist, um, she kind of said something similar to what you're saying because um, millennial black women are not um, as, they are bold about what they're Perspectives are, so I, I I get that point. However, I don't think the idea of um, being courageous without fanfare is the same necessarily as saying I am going to allow you to overburden me. Um, so I I agree with I agree with the idea of. Um, buying into the trope of the strong Black woman and just taking it, taking it, taking it. Um, But I don't um, think that being uh, courageous or acting with dignity or with grace without fanfare is the same as that. Um, I do think that there is a thin line, though, um, because if one continues to allow themselves to be invisibilized, um, there is a way that that might um, help to perpetuate um, one's own invisibility. But I don't, I don't, I don't, um, I don't agree that that is what it necessarily means.
1: Um, Can you
0: give us some examples, Doctor uh, okay. uh, Ross, of where where you're coming from with the with these virtues? Um, they are cruel, but yet we still find ourselves um, struggling for our voice because it says um, um, disquieted, um, invisible dignity and quieted grace. So it, it's almost as if our voices are being silenced.
2: Uh, yes, I saw the the, uh, quite the um, note from one of the, the listeners of, about without fanfare is troubling. So I'm going to go to the example of Ella Baker, mm. uh, who was uh, a fierce um, woman. Uh, she is one of the persons discussed in witnessing and testifying. And um, she actually left the NAACP because of the hierarchy and um, the not only in regard to women, but just the, um, the social hierarchy uh, generally. However, uh, Ella Baker, who would be close to what Du Bois is identifying as the talented 10th, was very concerned with making the NAACP accessible and responsive to people in local communities. In fact, her departure from the NAACP was because of that. And her um, mode of operating when she went out from New York into the South, and she traveled across the South as the NAACP was getting up and going, was to engage everyone and to present herself as someone who was like the persons that she was working with, in order to um, open up communication and open up the NAACP for them. And um, she was not, I would say there was a a level of grace in what she was doing and she was not calling attention to herself as a, uh, which is, uh, you know, this, I I definitely don't wanna be saying don't call attention. That's not my point (laughs) at all. I'm, (laughs) I'm saying that what she did, did not disturb and disrupt the possibility of her engaging what might be called grassroots folks. So she went into churches, she went into schools, she went into women's groups, she went into pool halls, she went into, she went to where the people were and she never um, um, let her access or education or or status or position Mm. get in the way of her doing that work. So um, I would call that actually quiet grace um, because of the great contributions that she made. Another example is her work with students in SNCC. So that there were, um, as the the sit-in movements began and there was all of this energy of of college students who wanted um, and did engage the civil rights movement um, Ella Baker was the one who encouraged them to found their own organization and who sat with them sometimes in um, their pictures of her with handkerchiefs around her head because everyone was smoking and it was difficult for her. But she wanted to encourage them with her presence. She was a woman of experience and she provided um, actually a quiet presence that said to, him, said to them, yes, you can do it. Uh, and we celebrate her for that but I would say that's another instance of uh uh invisible dignity and quiet grace mm-hmm. and I think Ella Baker is to be celebrated and she certainly was not one who um would argue that she should be uh, carrying the heavy load um she should because she was a woman so I agree um totally with your point uh. uh Dr. Vanesse.
1: Um, we have um, Dr. Kai Horn Elamine, who says, um, in, in speaking to those three virtues, um, that they arise out of what you call the ritual mute mundane, which can also be under re- respect, under respected as sy- systems uh, witness, protest, and liberation. In this way, the invisible dignity, courage, and grace lies in a different context. Um,
2: yeah, I, um, I, I actually don't want to say they are in a different context. I, well, um, I'm not completely sure what they mean, so I, I don't mean to contradict what the, um, what the viewer has said. Um, and perhaps the point is that, um, they are not appreciated in an era when there is, um more division between the haves and the have nots than perhaps at um, an earlier time in this country's history. And there, um, it is difficult not, it is difficult to argue for um, what these virtues represent in the language of our culture at this time, but I think they are continuing to be practiced and it's challenging to see them as valuable. Um, but I don't think those are the only virtues of black women by any means. And I do think that they can be overemphasized. Um, so um, I, 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 I I totally um, agree with the point. That the idea of the strong black woman is a trope that needs to be dead and buried, and women and black women need to be um, arguing and asserting and pushing against that, and it it does take voice and action
0: to do so. Um, Dr. Yeah. Raw, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, it's it's interesting. I, I want to stay with these virtues for a little while longer. Um, only to maybe add to your point from the book um, that in order to be in those places of power, and even today, um, coming out of corporate America, I was not one of those Southern Bells. So um, I was an activist um, and would call out racism where I saw it, but then you become ostracized. So there's a thin line uh, between having those virtues and being able to, um, I don't wanna say manipulate for lack of a better word, to enter into um, places of leadership. If they did not have those virtues they, especially during the civil rights movement, they may not have been able to, um, are selected, I guess, to represent um, the the people um, like Ella Baker, um, like uh, uh, Burroughs, like you know some of the other women that were a uh, part of the uh, clubs that that before the sororities started.
2: Um, well, the sororities were actually a part of the club movement in in many ways. Um, the, well, I, I think the, the, um, uh, Darlene Clark Hine, who is a historian has a term, um, called, called dissemblance, which she said, says has been a tool of black women Mm -hmm. to protect their interior lives, um, from persons who from in, in certain in certain circumstances uh in order to um give themselves space to creatively move into whatever else they wanted to do um and uh she drew that virtue from her research on women and rape um and the the point is and i I think this relates to what you're saying, Dr. Wallace. And I would say that actually it's not only black women, but that men as well um, Mm -hmm. choose times to do, choose when to do and say what Mm -hmm. in order to accomplish whatever might be um, um, the intention. So when, when Clark Hine is talking about dissemblance, she says that what one does is present one thing on the outside, but what's mm-hmm. going on inside is something different. Mm-hmm. And what's presented on the outside is in part a way to strategize to get to what is on the inside, uh, if that is is making sense. So I, I think that um, that is a practice that is really quite ordinary in um, in persons interacting with other persons, especially people who may have some kind of authority or power or influence or be in a position to make um, a significant difference in one way or another. Um, I am interested to know though, what you think about that as a practice. Do you think that is the case um, or?
0: That's why I say it's a thin line. Um, On the one hand, I see benefits but i also um see disadvantages um and and i would i would argue that you 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 need there there is some wisdom in knowing when to speak and how to speak and how to move in certain circles in of power in order to get what you want to get uh, accomplished um and i also uh, just from personal experience, um, recognize that if you go against the establishment, it's difficult to make change.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, 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 I'm uh, as they say, twix in between, um, <laughs> trying to find that narrow space of um, of being effective in what you do with, without carrying a big stick um, or being perceived as that angry black woman. There's just all of that um, myths and terminology that is has been negatively assigned to African-American women simply because they speak up and speak out and they, they're perceived as being angry. Uh,
2: I I agree and sometimes I think these strategies are used in order to, because women are negotiating that. Um, however, I would say sometimes a big stick is also necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so it's I, I, I think it's a part of the toolkit um, of, of strategies and so sometimes it is necessary to speak loudly and boldly and even angrily um, at other times um, one um, it it the, the the context has some um bearing on how one determines to act. So I am I, I hope I'm not um seeming to make an argument for being quiet or being um practicing dissemblance. As an all the time strategy, because that's not the point that I'm making at all. Mm-hmm. I am um, seeking to make the point that among the tools that Black women have used have been these strategies of um, of sometimes presenting something that seemed to be the case when it when um, inside there was something else going on, and some and, and in, in fact over time um something else was um seeking to be accomplished. Yeah. I do think that in the 21st century, um, the practices of dissemblance, which are part of respectability politics, by the way, right? So mm-hmm. there, there's a it's it's not all of those things are intertwined mm-hmm. and, and also a part of how black people have been um manipulated into needing to represent themselves in particular ways. Um, but I do think in the 21st century there is a lot more space than there w- there was in some other times. Um, but yeah, I'd I'd like to hear whether the space is wide open, uh, whether there there is thinking that the space is is wide open.
0: I think um, your womanist uh, research on the women that you uh, the founding women of uh, womanist theology and womanist ethics. Um, began to break loose or open up what may have been perceived as, um, I don't wanna say docile, but that quietness um, that had strength. I'm, I'm not saying that the quietness didn't have strength because I agree with you that there are times when we definitely need all of those tools. And the wisdom comes as timely wisdom. And the wisdom comes in knowing when to use which tool in your toolkit. And that 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 can be um difficult. Um if, if you're if what what tends to happen that I've I've noticed, um, and it, n- n- not that I'm an expert on it. But that's that dichotomy. Rather than the both and, it's either or. Either you're you're carrying that big stick, or you're moving in and out of of places in a um, more, I guess you would call respectable uh, manner. Um, and, and having not a being a woman's place kind of uh, uh, thought process rather than carrying that big stick in non-traditional ways uh yeah yes in
2: non-traditional ways and i i i would say that i think that there are women who wield a big stick and they also um practice quiet dignity and um um and 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 um, they also practice um, grace and dignity in carrying a big, I mean it's it's a negotiation um, um in some ways, but it it is also um, a mode of operating in the world in other ways. So um the idea of um, succumbing to some kind of of um, Caricature of what a woman should be or what a black woman should be, I think is something in the 21st century that is really um that really needs to be out the window because black women are doing and being so many things and doing so many things. I mean, and in on it's- their own terms, mm-hmm. on their own terms. Um and very
0: successfully they are. Yeah, yeah. But but I don't want you to get away, Dr. <laughs> Ross, without well, talking well, about well.
1: womanness. I know we got well. Have- well. We're, yeah, we're, we're actually now we have we, we have um yeah, three and a half minutes three and a half minutes left Dr. Ross and so in this in these final three minutes what are some closing thoughts that, that you have and you want to make sure that we walk away um with uh well I would um actually
2: point to the legacy of the difference that black women have made historically in this country in so many levels and in and so many ways uh, and, and have made themselves, made their presence known and made themselves known, though their names may not always be called. One of the things that the garden initiative is seeking to do is to identify the many contributions of black women And I would say none of the women either in the 18th, well, late 17th, 18th, 19th, 19th, uh, pardon me, 18th, 19th and 20th centuries and 21st centuries, I would not see any of them as women who were not fierce, um, whether we might um, typically use that as a way to talk about them, but, sojourner truth was harriet tubman was um uh uh fannie lou hamer was victoria de lee was diane nash was uh and whether one septima clark was who was such a church woman and kind of a a school mom but she was a fierce person and very clear about her moral perspectives. So um, I would say the thing to remember is that these women took charge of themselves and their lives, and they made a difference in Black communities. And they had uh, the wisdom and creativity to determine how to do that in their time, in spite of what they were confronted with.
0: And that's where we have to respect what they did and not, as you say, take it, take the terms and move them into the 21st century. I think that that. thank you, Dr. Ross, for that. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> thank you, um, Dr. Ross, um, for being with us on today. If uh, this conversation I, um, has been enlightening to you, uh, please put it in the chat. Our guests um, um, will be able to view it. And Dr. Ross, we ask, if you will, just hang around backstage for us for a few moments, please. Certainly.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you for being with us.